firstly, you can see Linda aged way better than me. For those who remember us back in the day, uh, you may be seated. It is an absolute joy and delight. Thank you, worship team. That was just phenomenal. Um, this church has always been marked by a great heart for worship. And um, I, I kind of feel like a little bit of a fraud being called, Linda and I being called the founders. Um, we, we were involved, we were sent up here and um, did our best for six months and then handed it over and continued to have a relationship. And so I want to acknowledge all those who have sown in for many years, not just the, the pastors of the church, but all the people, and it's been mentioned already. But I want to give a special shout out to Pastor Kevin and Marilyn Brett who we've known since 1980. I think Linda might have known them before, but I've known them since 1980. We've served together, the, the friendship and what they've invested and in bringing about a transition to a great uh, leadership couple and just love the spirit of that house. So before I get into the word, I feel like I've got a prophetic word for you and Amy. She's standing up the back there. Somebody's got to care for the kids while Ben just looks glamorous. And... <laughs> Keep working at it. <laughs> but it's by extension a word for the whole church, and I'm also speaking to those who are part of the online campus, is um, I kind of feel that, uh, that, that what the Spirit of the Lord was saying to me was, even as you were coming into the senior leadership of the church in the transition period under Kevin and Marilyn, that there were things that were stirring your heart, like dreams, visions, strategies, and then the global pandemic came. And there were certain things that you kind of go, was that still God? Is that still God? And literally what God has been doing is using that space that we've all been through just to filter the vision, the dream, to bring clarity. And there were some things that you might have done too quickly and rushed ahead. And God's saying it wasn't no, it was just slow down. And now he's going to give you both, and along with the team, I love the ministry team that you've got and those that I've met, and there's many behind the scenes, um, incredible wisdom. That was the word that I just kept hearing over again, wisdom. Now, God still wants you to use your brain, uh, and I mean that. You know, we need to strategize, we need to think through. But in the conversations with your team and with others, God is literally going to drop words of wisdom around strategy, around resource, around provision, that you will see then those dreams, like even though you felt like it's been dragged and taken too long, it's going to spring forth. And even like the words out of Habakkuk, though it's delayed, it will happen quickly. And there's going to be time in it and that, but I really believe that I speak it over the church and all the endeavors that you're having, and I hope that is significant to you. Amen. All right, you ready for the word? I'm really excited. I feel like this is also a bit of a prophetic word calling to every single person in the church. And I love those who are watching online. Pay attention. I'll come and visit you. All right. I've simply entitled this message, Called to be Saints. And the verse that the Lord really quickened to me was 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Where Paul says, and we often kind of miss the greetings in the beginning of the epistles and go, oh, that's just a greeting. But it's loaded with such powerful statements. To the church of God that is in Corinth, on the Blue Mountains, influencing Penrith, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, 
called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you name the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Apostle Paul is saying to you, you are called to be a saint. Corinth was a prosperous, busy, growing city, but it had a a reputation that was horrendous. And when you read the epistles to the Corinthians, you can see Paul has to address that some of the culture of the city was creeping into the church. And it had a reputation for a reckless pursuit of pleasure. Leon Morris, a Bible scholar, describes Corinth as intellectually alert, materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. And that could be written today for much of our Western society. Intellectually alert, materially prosperous, but morally corrupt. But I want you to notice that the setup that Paul gives us here. He speaks to the church of God. The church of God in Corinth. The church of God on the Blue Mountains and this whole region. And what he's describing is one thing is good and the other thing is bad. Now, hear me carefully. I'm not writing off every single person in this municipality and beyond. That's not the spirit. But he's saying the church is there in the midst of this city that is intellectually alert, prosperous materially, but morally corrupt. The church, the good, is placed right in the middle of what is bad and what God wants to change and influence and transform. And the question really is, is the church influencing the society or is the society influencing the church? And then Paul goes on to speak into that in a powerful way. I think most of you would know that the word church here is ecclesia, which means God's called out people. It's not talking about the building. And I love the fact that we can have great buildings. It makes life a lot easier when we're doing services and all that. But the church is God's called out people into the community, into the marketplace, into the places of influence. And every single church has two addresses. It's got a geographical address in Corinth on the Blue Mountains called to minister into that community, to those people, to touch lives. But you've also got a spiritual address. You are in Christ Jesus. And because of that, you're victorious. You're overcoming God's provisions there. Geographical locality, but spiritual one in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Now, a saint, as you would probably know, is not a dead person who's honoured by people for living an amazing life. And there's nothing wrong with honouring people who've done amazing things in the name of Jesus. But Paul is actually writing to living saints, people who, through faith in Jesus, say, I am set apart for God's purpose, called to be saints. Somebody who says, I'm not just on this planet to occupy time, space, and use oxygen. I am here by divine appointment. I am called to be a saint in my workplace, in my school, in my street, in my family situation. I am called to be a saint. Somebody set apart for God's purpose. It's a terrible thing 
to live life without a sense of purpose. And nowadays, post-COVID, they're saying up to 60% of people actually hate what they do. They call it the great resignation. Don't resign. (laughs) And this has increased dramatically under the pandemic because we were locked up and our sense of choice, our sense of having purpose was lost. And I think some of us are still living perhaps in the lull of that, going, how do I get out of this? How do I get back into living with purpose? A saint set apart for God's purpose in every single situation. Ecclesiastes. Solomon reflects on what it's like to live without purpose. And I'm not going to go through the whole book, but just one verse summarizes Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 17. Solomon says, and he's got wealth, he's got prosperity, he's got influence, he's got all sorts of things. But he's lost at this moment in his life a sense of divine purpose. So I came to hate life. Because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. And my prayer for each and every one of you, including every single person in the online campus, is that God by His Spirit this morning would refresh, would awaken, would impart perhaps for the first time a sense of wisdom and clarity and a sense of divine Purpose, a prophetic speaking into your life, stirring you up and go, I've got stuff to do for the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to live my life without purpose. I love first, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to just read verse 1, but I'm going to read it from the message, a paraphrase. And I just love the simplicity of this and the, the, the words that Eugene Peterson uses here. He says, so here is what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for And I just love the way he takes those words where Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And he just kind of expands on it. Yeah, it's not this life where you wake up and feel like you are a saint. Where everything just flows and you, you, you don't actually touch the ground. You just glide across things. He's not talking about that kind of life. He's talking about taking your everyday ordinary, waking, sleeping, going to work, doing the ordinary things, but doing them with a sense of purpose and then watching Jesus break into those circumstances with a little opportunity here, a word here, an action here, a generous generous act there that just makes real the kingdom of God in your life and to others. You see, living with purpose means to live intentionally. It's deliberately acting on the instruction of God's word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's making a decision, I'm not going to live on autopilot. Have you ever had to go somewhere and you stop paying attention? 
And you end up going somewhere else because when you started on that road, the normal way was to go home or to go... None of you? Is this an age thing for me? (laughs) But you suddenly... Where was I going? You just get on autopilot. God doesn't want to live like that. He wants you to live as somebody who's called to be a saint. Somebody who's set apart by God for divine purpose. Divine purpose. David says this in Psalm 138 and verse 8. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you have made me. I want you to catch the two things he puts in this verse. There's more things, but two key things. He says, the Lord will work out the plans for my life. The Lord will work out the plans for your life. And then immediately, he leans into the faithful love of the Lord. And I believe I'm speaking to a few people in particular on this point. That you live with a sense of anxiety about getting God's will right. And it actually stops you from doing things. It stops you from stepping out at times. It's almost like you feel like you're on a tightrope across Niagara Falls and one step wrong and it's gone and you've lost it. No, 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 no. God is bigger than your mistakes, whether they are ones that were done sinfully and even deliberately or ones that were just done accidentally. God is bigger than your mistakes, your failings, and include myself in that. And our assurance for God's plan to be worked out in our lives rests in his eternal love for us. You are loved, you are held in the palm of his hand. John Bergen, who was the dean of Chichester Cathedral, is a bit of useless information you don't need to know, but said this, his hands formed our souls at the beginning. His nail-pierced hands redeemed them on Calvary. His glorified hands will hold our souls fast and not let them go forever. And unto his hands we commend our spirits. His hands will again make perfect all that our hands have unmade. Now, he's using kind of older style English language, but that whole thought that the hands of God are in every single part of your journey, that you're not doing anything outside of his hands. And even the things that our hands get wrong, he uses the term, get unmade by our hands. His hands can make them again. And there's a future and a hope for every single one of us. You are called to be saints, people set apart for his purposes. Romans 8 and verse 28 says, For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You you want to see God weave every single part of your life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the known, the unknown, the secret things. Just keep loving God and say, God, I want to do your will. You you see, it's not God will work all things together for good, full stop. It's to those who love him 
and those who are called according to his purpose. Called to be saints. People set apart for the purpose of God. I want to give you three things that can help us in this. Number one, and it's kind of obvious, just keep honoring the Lord with your life. Joel Austin said this, keep honoring God with your life, stay in peace, trust his timing, and God will open doors that no one can shut. It's kind of just a simple declaration. Just keep honoring God to the best of your ability. And when you get it wrong, just confess it. Don't beat yourself up. Don't go running around trying to fix it necessarily. Just say, God, I want to come back. I'll just bring my everyday, ordinary, walking around life, my mistakes. I just submit to you again. 1 Samuel 2 verse 30 says, For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. There's so much in that, but we're going to move on. But God says, you honor me and I'll honor you in ways that will be extraordinary. Martin Luther believed that the call of God comes not in the big things, but in the everyday tasks. In just inviting Jesus into the everyday ordinary things and then seeing him transform those things into something else. Karl Barth said we have the freedom of obedience to use our gifts, our opportunities, and the circumstances of our life to glorify God. And I just want you to catch that phrase, the freedom of obedience. Not the obligation of obedience, not, not, not the sense of duty and something terrible. He says you have the freedom to obey God, the freedom to invite God into your everyday, called to be a saint. Set apart for divine purposes. Paul speaking to slaves and free people in Colossians. And I, I reference the slaves in this context. That as a slave in this ancient world, you had no choices. Everything you did every single day, you were ordered to do. Compelled to do. Had no choice in what you did. But he says this, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord, not men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. For you are serving the Lord Christ. I don't know if you get how extraordinary that statement is. That somebody as a slave who has no choice except to say, I'm not just doing this for my master, I'm doing this for Jesus. Suddenly, it becomes eternal. Suddenly, it becomes powerful. Suddenly, it becomes something that can transform situations. How many of you saw Chariots of Fire? I haven't, but there's a story behind that, but I know the story well. And it's an extraordinary story. It's an extraordinary story. Of two athletes, British athletes, in the 1924 Olympics, Eric Liddell, who's a devout Christian and comes from a missionary background and who runs literally for the glory of God. And then Harold Abrahams, an English Jew who has a noble cause. There's a lot of anti-Semitic attitudes prevailing in Britain at that time and in Europe, in fact. And he runs for glory in order to overcome prejudice. So it's not that what he's doing doesn't have something noble attached to it. 
It's the way it's done. Eric Liddell runs for the glory of God. And Abraham's before one race says this. And now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, and ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? A man with an extraordinary gift, a man with a noble cause, but a man living under kind of a legalism, that somehow or other I've got to justify my existence by what we do. And the weight of that on him is extraordinary. Liddell says this, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What an awesome thing. And we've got to allow Jesus to take those everyday ordinary moments. Because we say, I'm called to be a saint, to live for your purpose, for your glory. God, help me do this with a sense of your pleasure. Not earning acceptance, not trying to appease God, but running for his glory in whatever we do. David says this in Psalm 16 and verse 8. I've set the Lord always before me, and he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. That whole idea of just putting Jesus front and center in everything we do. And the reality is there are days and there are moments we will forget to do that. Don't get the guilts about that. Just next time you remember, Jesus, I put you in the middle of this. Help me. The second thing is a bit shorter. Faithful in small things, but I can't ignore this. And I'm mainly just going to read a verse or two and, and let the, the scripture just speak to you. Luke 16, 10 and 12. Jesus says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should be you be trusted with your own things? That my point is, don't underestimate the power of small acts of obedience, small acts of service, small things that don't seem big, small things that don't even seem that spiritual. But the little things are things that God looks at and says, now there's a faithful person. We can do more with that person. They live in as a saint, somebody set apart for divine purpose. My final point. Consider your calling. It's been the theme throughout this. You are called to be a saint. So number one, honor God in everything. Be faithful in small things. But consider your calling. Some other, and I think it's incrementally, we kind of think of calling as for people on the platform. And, and, and I know in our heads we know it's not, but in our hearts sometimes that's our attitude. And that's why I'm stressing from the passage in 1 Corinthians, you are called to be a saint. You are called to be God's set-apart person, no matter what you do, where you do it, in, in what time frame you do it. You are called, you're set apart for divine purpose. Not just on Sundays, and I love Sundays, I, I really do. But, but it's not just the Sunday thing. It's in the everyday thing. Paul, speaking of the church at Ephesus, says a similar thing in Ephesians 4 verse 1. I have to explain the wonder of our salvation. And it's filled with grace and, and all the stuff that he speaks of in there. 
And he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. You see, he's not speaking of himself there. He's speaking to the whole church at Ephesus. He says, you, every single one of you, have been called by God. Called by God. Set apart for divine purpose. And everything changes in ways that you and I cannot fully understand. When we first recognize, acknowledge, and begin to respond to the call of God. Yeah, I'm living as a called person. Isaiah, and read it for yourself, Isaiah 9, 6 and following, has this incredible encounter with God. Feels his own unworthiness. An angel is sent to cleanse him. For us, Jesus comes to cleanse us. And then God permits him to overhear a conversation between the members of the Godhead. It's just to me the most intriguing thing. He doesn't just say to, or Isaiah, I fixed your life. Now I want you to do this, this, and this. He fixes Isaiah's life, cleanses him, and then allows him to overhear a conversation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the conversation goes like this. Who will we send? And who will go for us? And something leaps in his heart because he's encountered forgiveness. He's encountered restoration. He's encountered cleansing. And he says, here I am. Lord, send me. And I think it's that kind of response that God wants to draw out of our hearts. Here I am. Send me. But let me warn you. You actually don't know what you're volunteering for. (laughs) It's the best thing you can do. Here I am. And he says immediately, go and tell. Get out there. Make a difference. Moses argued with God, as did Jeremiah, telling him how ill-equipped they were, like he didn't know. (laughs) And some of us do that. But God, and we make excuses and we explain why we shouldn't do things or couldn't do things. And eventually God just gets ticked off with Moses. It says actually the anger of the law burned against him because Moses kept coming up with these excuses why God couldn't use him. But I love Jeremiah because Jeremiah says, I'm too young to do this. And God says, Jeremiah, would you just stop it? I want you to hear what he says to him. Before I formed you, this is Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born... I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Just get that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Divine purpose. And I appointed you too. And for Jeremiah, it was that task. And that term or that word, I appointed, sounds so prestigious, doesn't it? I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. But there's something that I stumbled on recently with that. The Hebrew word for appoint is found about 1,200 times in the Old Testament. Over a thousand times, it's not translated appoint. It's just translated give or gave or given. 
Now read that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. And Jeremiah, stop arguing, because I have already given you away. I've given you away. You can argue with me, but it's done. I've given you away to people. And for Jeremiah, the journey was not an easy one. We're not going to get into the history of that. And in our modern day, but, but God, I've got rights. What about my rights? How dare you give me rights? I don't care about your rights. I gave you away. I knew you, I formed you, and I gave you away to people. Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite authors, says this, God gives. He is generous. He is lavishly generous. And before Jeremiah ever got it together, he was given away. But that's God's way. He did it with his own son. He gave him away. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You are called to be a saint. Somebody set apart by God for divine purpose. And you can argue and you can say to God why you're not good enough and why this and, you know. And all of us have issues we've got to work through and deal with. But I'm here to tell you, church. I'm here to tell you, saint. God has already given you away for his kingdom's sake. Just as much as he gave his son away because he loves this world that he's placed you in. I'm going to hand back to you, Pastor, now. God bless you.